Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Father, we believe that to be true. There is none like you. God, may we step into your word with that in mind. Ultimately, for your glory, that you would equip us for your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of Daniel, everyone. Daniel, book of Daniel, and uh, good morning to those of you online with us, it's great to have you guys with us in that way, and we're thankful that you've joined us, and uh, just because you're online doesn't mean you shouldn't open your Bible, so make sure you get your Bible too, and uh, we're going to continue this series we just started last week. A series entitled "Praying Persistent" or um, "Lord, Teach Us to Pray." And today we're specifically going to be focusing on praying persistently. And First Thessalonians five gives us this exhortation to pray without ceasing. How many of you have heard that before? Pray without ceasing. A good majority of you have. Um, how many of you would say you've mastered that? I'm going to put my hand down too, okay? Uh, it's challenging. It's, it's really hard. Uh, when, when we see Scripture uh, challenge us or encourage us uh, to pray without ceasing, um, that's hard. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's hard. That's hard to do. Um, here's the thing. I want to I start and share just with you a brief bit about my story. Um, that some of you know, I've shared before, but um, some of you may not know. Um, when I was about four years old, I was diagnosed with a severe seizure disorder. And in fact, uh, it was so bad, uh, my mom recounts counting on one day 125 seizures by noon as a four-year-old, okay? And uh, having young kids myself now, I just, I go back and I think, oh my goodness, I, I don't even know. How as a parent you cope with that? Um, there was a lot of prayer involved. Uh, and I spent uh, about a month's time hospitalized in Iowa City uh, for them trying to figure out what in the world was going on. And uh, medication after medication, nothing would stop these seizures from happening. And if they did, I was allergic to the medication. And so there was a numerous setbacks and side effects and uh, honestly a point of uh, understandable potential despair. And what ended up changing or shifting that was uh, I became uh, right around the second person in the world to take the medication that stopped my seizures. Okay. And was on that medication for two times a day for uh, a large portion of my childhood. Uh, 
of which it stopped completely and there are no lingering effects from that season of my life. All glory to God in that. The reason I share this portion of my story is because in this moment, I look back on that time and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the insight and wisdom of uh, doctors to help me navigate that and to bring about something that honestly nothing else did at that time. But beyond that, by the time I was 12 years old, I had been weaned completely off of this medication and I no longer needed it. Yeah, praise the Lord, right? It's, amen. It's great. And I've had no further effects of that. I, I, that in my story, that's a past entity. I no longer have a need, and so I don't take it. Now, some of you might pick up where I'm going with this. We often treat prayer the same way we treat medication. Our consistency, our concern for it, all of it hinges on our perception of need as well as the perceived effectiveness of our prayers. In other words, if I'm in a season where I don't really see that I need it, I don't use it. Or maybe if I'm using it and it doesn't seem to be doing what I think it should, I stop. Now, I don't know about you, but in processing through this, I recognize my own guilt in this matter. How easy it becomes when nothing else seems to be working, I resort to prayer. When I have exhausted all other means possible, then, then let's, let's pray. And yet, what's hovering over all of this as we think about, Lord, teach us to pray as you would have us pray. That that would be a part of who we are as your people. All of a sudden, we see a consistency in this. That many of us look at and go, well, that would be nice if I could master that. Or we look at individual people and say, that person is gifted in prayer. I could never pray like that person. And yet here's the thing, church. Here's the thing. God has called every one of us who claims the name of Jesus to be saved to be persistent in prayer. God has called every one of us, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, to pray without ceasing. Now, in the scope of all of this, in no way am I saying that somehow um, you need to substitute every other thing on your list and every other activity in your day and spend 12 hours every day like a monk in a tower praying to the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. And in fact, if you did that, then you are forsaking the very mission that Jesus gave his disciples to go and to do and to be who God has called you to be. So, today we're going to step back and we're going to look at the story of Daniel. 
A godly man, along with his friends, who continued to serve the Lord faithfully in the midst of a tumultuous, difficult time. My goal this morning is for us to learn from these faithful saints what it looks like to pray persistently in every season. And how we can begin disciplining ourselves to do that. So, before we move any further, um, let's pray and trust this to the Lord. Father, thank you for the hope that you have given us in Jesus. Father, we confess that this is hard and that we do not do this well. God, we confess a need for growth and maturity in our lives to be more like Jesus and less like our fleshly selves. God, we confess a need for prayer to be a priority in our life as the church. Understanding who you are and what you have promised to may you mold and shape us. To not just be hearers of these truths, but to do what you have called us to do. And we trust the work of your spirit to the ongoing work of transformation in us for your glory in Jesus name. Amen. Now I want to start in verse one of Daniel chapter one. I want you to follow along in your Bibles or on your phones if you've got a digital Bible. And we're going to we're going to jump from kind of chapter to chapter, ultimately going from chapter one to chapter six is what we're going to look at today. And chapter one, starting in verse one, really gives us a historical context for what's taking place here in the narrative of Daniel. It says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and of nobility, Youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Now just to summarize what's taking place here, King Nebuchadnezzar comes down and besieges Jerusalem. What does that mean? Simply put, he took It over. They were thrust into captivity. And this is the portion in biblical history known as the Babylonian captivity. This was not something that came on as a surprise. In fact, if you read the book of Kings and Chronicles, you very specifically see God warn his people that if you continue down this path, 
I will give you over into the hands of your enemies. In other words, God prefaced himself very clearly. And yet his people continue to do what they saw to be right in their own eyes. So this comes after God's very stern and direct warning to his people and they failed to turn their ways around. And now they are taken, the whole nation of Judah is taken into Babylonian captivity. And within that captivity, there is a group of young Israelites that are brought in to inform, educate, and essentially utilize within the king's palace. This included eating and drinking what they gave them, being educated for three years in the customs and requirements of their people, And then standing before the king. Now, to step back a minute, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these, specifically, these four guys. Who are young men who are called into this role, having just lost everything they had known, and now in a foreign land, being taught foreign concepts, and yet understanding and knowing who the true God is. In many ways, as we see throughout the book of Daniel, you could identify that these four guys were willing to stand set apart when others were not. And their motivation for why they stood apart was simply geared towards who they knew God to be. And they chose to stand firm. The other thing that I always find interesting is when I come to these stories, uh, many of us know Daniel's three friends by their non-given names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That wasn't their names, right? That was their renamed names. And so it's, I, I challenge you, you want to really throw someone for a loop, ask them if they've heard the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and everyone will be like, what are you talking about? And you're like, well, let's go to the book of Daniel. And then you'll start through it and they'll go, oh, I've heard this story before. But look at verse 8 here. This is where we see something specific in the character of Daniel and his friends that we can learn from if we're going to seek to grow and praying persistently. And it begins with our concept and understanding of who God is. Look at verse 8. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Now, there is a lot of debate in theological circles about why exactly Daniel thinks it would defile himself to eat and drink of the king's food and drink. And we could sit here and debate that a lot, and really you're going to just talk yourselves in circles. Some people think that it's because the food was offered to idols before it was given to eat, and so Daniel's like, no, I don't want any part of that. 
other people think that it, maybe it wasn't kosher to do that, and so that's why he said no. But really, the only direct emphasis we can come back to biblically here is Daniel, in this moment, chooses to place his confidence and his trust in the Lord. And as a result of that, he says, I'm not going to bend my knee to the customs of your people. My confidence is in the one who created me. My confidence is in him. Therefore, I will not defile myself in this way. But my confidence will remain in the Lord's sustaining power on me. And this concerns the chief eunuch because he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. You, if you do this, and then you're going to look really frail and weak, and it's going to be my fault. So no, 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 no. You can't do this, because I'm the one who's going to pay. Because then the king's going to be like, well, I brought in all these well-adept young people to serve me, and these few, they look pitiful. And so Daniel goes on to challenge them and says, no, feed us these things, and then you evaluate at the end of that time, how they looked in appearance. And if you were to continue reading in chapter 1, what you'd find is that at the end of that time, they were actually stronger and better off than the ones who chose to eat the king's food and drink. And this all essentially comes back to verse 9, that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel's eyes remained fixed on the Lord and God rewarded him for that reason. Now, what does this have anything to do with prayer? Whereas we're looking at the character of Daniel and the confidence that Daniel had in the Lord, here's what we can glean from this and from the character of Daniel specifically. If we're going to pray persistently... We must know whose we are. If we're going to pray persistently, we must know whose we are. Daniel had no doubt about this. So much so that even in the, se- even in the season where everything in his life had transitioned and changed, everything in his life had been uprooted and turned over upside down, Daniel and his friends never lost sight of whose they were and who they served. You may put me in the kingdom of another man, but my king is the Lord in heaven. And my confidence is in Him. Naturally speaking, church, in times of crisis, in times of burden, we will always go to that which we worship first. I want you to think about that for a minute. In times of hardship and times of crisis, we will always go to that which we worship first. First, now some of you sitting here may still be going, well, I worship the Lord God of heaven and earth. You may say you do, but what I'm saying is what we truly worship is that which we turn to first when things aren't going our way. That is 
the fleshly God that we serve so often and so easily. And none of us are exempt from that because every one of you, according to the book of Galatians, has this battle between your flesh and your spirit. And if there's a battle, that's a good thing. Okay? If there's a battle, that means there is a difference between my flesh and the Spirit of God. If there is no battle, then you need to look really closely and hardly at whether you've committed your life to follow after Jesus. The end result of this in this story is that Daniel and his friends in this period going stronger, better looking and wiser than any of the others. God gave them favor in face of all the others. Why? They knew whose they were and they committed to following his way. If we're going to pray persistently, church, we have to know that our identity is secure in God in Christ. It is firmly planted. Because if my identity is not secure, if I'm uncertain about that, why should I keep praying? Why? Ultimately, what I go to first reveals what I'm most prone to worship. Nebuchadnezzar begins, in the transition of this, really to transition to chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar begins to have a dream that troubles him, and he calls upon the Chaldeans, the wise men of the area, to help interpret the dream. So, I'm having this dream, I don't like this dream, I need you to interpret this dream. And look what the Chaldeans say in verse 11 of chapter 2. They say, the thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, a couple of things I want you to note there. Number one, the Chaldeans readily admit their inability in and of their own strength to do what the king is asking them to do. Number two, the gods that these people worship, gods... Little g gods are understood to not dwell with people. In other words, they are not personal. They could care less about what affects human beings. Now, whether you recognize this or not, church, the God of the Bible is an intensely personal God. So much so that from the very beginning of creation, He created mankind in His own image. Think about that. And then when mankind shows their own way over perfect community and fellowship with God, God said, I don't want this separation from my people, so I'm going to make a way for them to be made right. And he sent Jesus as the perfect sacrifice that whoever believes in the name of Jesus will not perish eternally, but have eternal life in the presence of Of the very God that we have sinned against. What is different about that from the 
impersonal gods of the Chaldeans. They could care less. And I'm telling you that any other god, little g god, is impersonal and does not care about you. But there is one who does. Daniel and his friends know this to be true. And when the Chaldeans tell the king this, he gets so angry that he actually commands for the death of all the wise men in the land. He's so angry and fed up. He's like, you are useless and worthless. Kill them all. So let's pick up in verse 12 of chapter 2. It says, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. I love this part of the story because I'm just picturing Daniel. The guards burst in and they're about to kill them. He goes, whoa, 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 I need some clarification here. Verse 15, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? What happened? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested to the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now, here's where it takes a shift in verse 17. And most of the time we miss this. Look what Daniel does next. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven And Daniel answered and said, and I'm going to read that in a minute. Here's what we can grasp from this church. If we're going to pray persistently, we must believe that he is God and there is no other. We must believe that who we're praying to is the only one who can give us any comfort who can bring us any hope, who can bring any measure of peace. He has to be the only one. Why? Because if I can find that anywhere else, then I treat God and prayer like a medication that I try. And if it doesn't work, I get rid of it. And this is what we do. Listen to what Daniel says when the Lord gives this interpretation to him. He says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. You notice the object of Daniel's prayer here? It's God. You're the one responsible God. 
You get the praise because you're the only one who holds all of these things together. And we sought you because we believed that you are the only one who could answer. It is one thing for us to acknowledge a belief in God as creator, sustainer, sovereign God over all things. It is another thing to call on him in light of that truth, church. It's another thing completely. Our lack of prayerfulness often reveals that we do not really believe all that we claim to believe about God. And that's a hard statement for us to sit with. Daniel further emphasizes this in verses 26 through 28 when the king declares to Daniel whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Look at Daniel's answer. Daniel easily could have said, yes, I can. I can do it. Verse 27, he said, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. And then he goes on to explain this. Daniel didn't just believe that God was who he said he was. He lived it out. And his first response when finding out about this, he, they sought the Lord. Why? Because of what he identifies in verses 20 through 23. You are the only one. So the question I ask to you, church, is who do you really believe God to be? If we're going to pray persistently, we must believe that he is God and there is no other like him. Man cannot do what God can, no matter how hard they try. The last section I want, to, I want you to turn to is in Daniel chapter 6. We're going to jump ahead. And in between here is where you have the story of the fiery furnace. And you could look at the character of Daniel's three friends as they stand up and say, God can do exactly as he pleases. We will not bow to another and if you don't know that story, I encourage you to read the rest of the book of Daniel this week. Starting in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 6. Understand here that at this time, the kings have changed. King Nebuchadnezzar is no longer there. And now King Darius is the one who is present. So in verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Everyone say faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. 
Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Church, may that be said of us. That we would be able to be described in this way, that we will, someone would say, we are not going to find any ground for complaint against them unless we find it in connection with the law of their God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. And they proposed this horrible edict that essentially said nobody should pray to anyone other than you, king, knowing exactly what Daniel did. And if you wonder what that is, go to verse 10. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And I want you to underline this if you mark in your Bible, as he had done previously. Why is that important? Daniel isn't doing this out of spite, church. And we are really good at trying to do things out of spite sometimes. Someone takes a jab and we're like, well, I'm just going to do this just to do it in your face. This was not out of the ordinary. And that's exactly why the leaders in the area knew that they could get Daniel entrapped. They'd seen him do it before, right? Here's what we can learn. If we're going to pray persistently, make it a habit and don't let anything break it. Uh, There's another leader that consistently shares uh, this emphasis where uh, they say, uh, pray with your spouse every day. And if you miss a day, don't miss two. What does that look like? It means I make it a priority. If I'm just expecting God to somehow give me the ability to pray persistently without actually practicing prayer persistently, then I am foolish. If all now I want to clarify something here as we think about this. If all I do is make a habit of it, I've missed to the point. What do I mean? If all I do is pray and keep a record of I pray three times today. Check, check, check. Done. Then you've missed the point. It's not about the frequency. It's not about. The words you use, and we're going to get into that when we learn from Jesus in the future. But here's the other truth. If you never make it a habit, you have missed the urgency of prayer. The urgency that there is no other who holds the answers to wisdom and knowledge and understanding. There's no other in heaven on earth by which we can be saved. There's no other that can bring healing. There is no other who is worthy of our worship, church. God's grace given to us in Jesus will never, listen to this, it will never be dependent upon any measurable entity that would cause us to take credit for it. It's exactly what Ephesians 2 says. Saved by grace through faith, Not of works so that no one can boast. You can't do it. The 
Yet God does call us to persistency in light of who He is. In closing, I want to read you a text out of Luke chapter 18. And ultimately, this is where we're going to resolve this in application to resolve that there is none like God. Luke chapter 18, this is the teachings of Jesus. And in verse 1 of chapter 18 in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus actually, it actually says, He, he being Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always, everyone say always, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I don't know about you, but there's really discouraging seasons that cause us to easily lose heart and to stop praying. And maybe we don't stop praying, but our prayer life becomes really shallow, where if we're honest with ourselves, we pray not really believing that what we pray is actually going to come to be. And some of us are praying in light of what we want rather than in light of the promises of God. And so we're praying maybe persistently, but we haven't gotten the cue that maybe we're praying in the wrong way. And we need to go back to Scripture and say, what has God already promised us? I want to pray that. But here's this parable in verse 2 of Luke 18. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, when I read this this week, verse 8 was a dagger to me. Because how often... Can we truly say that I pray persistently in faith to the God who I know holds all things in his hand? Some of you may pray persistently, but it's more of a checkbox than it is intentionality. Some of you may have given up on prayer altogether. And if things get bad, I need to be prescribed some prayer medication, I'm going to take it. But as soon as things level out and you know that bad season, you know, I'm healed of that disease or this difficult season at work ends or, uh, you know, my, my family structure, we were having conflict and now that conflict's resolved. What happens? I don't need that prescription anymore. Yet it's the one who knows in this parable. Listen to this. It's the one who knows who can bring them justice. That they go to. And they are persistent with it. Right? 
But they also have faith that that indeed is the one who can bring them justice. If I'm going to pray persistently, church, I've got to resolve that there is no one else like God. There is nothing in this world like God. There is no other name under heaven by which I can be saved. And if you are in a season where prayer seems absent, then you need to ask yourself, who do you believe God to be? If you're in a season where you feel like the Lord is silent and you're not seeing answered prayer, you need to ask yourself, am I praying in light of who I want God to be or in light of who he has already revealed himself to be? And if you don't know who God has revealed himself to be, open your Bible. And don't look for who you want him to be. Look for who he already says he is. And then continue to persistently seek him Believing in faith that he is the only one who can bring redemption out of every aspect of brokenness in our world. Amen. So as we consider these things, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we're going to we're going to sing a couple of songs to close here. But I want you to understand that there is no other who can bring you peace. There is no other that can bring you lasting hope. And if you're here today and you do not have the security of salvation in Christ, I want you to know that you don't have to leave here without that security. And there's no form or fashion or this follow this to the exact staple in order to be saved. It's you believe in the name of Jesus to be saved or you don't. And you will leave here with one of those two. You won't leave here in between. You either believe it's in him that we're saved or you don't. And those of you who I know have already chosen and said, I surrender my life to Jesus. You need to ask yourself, do you really believe that God is who you think or say that he is? And if so, what is replacing him in your lives when it comes to prayer? What is replacing him in your lives when it comes to comfort and peace and hope? Because I'm going to tell you, you're going to look all over this world and you won't find it. You may find it temporarily in relationships. You may find it temporarily in the worldly pleasures that we experience here. But it will end and leave you Hoping for more. I'm confident that if we root together into God's word and who he's revealed himself to be, we can be the most hope-filled people in the world. No matter what season comes. And in the same way Daniel and his friends stood firm upon a foundation which God had already built, may we be those people. Even in the scope of things, if we're just four We're a small, tiny number in the scope of everything. May that be who we choose to be. And it starts here. But it doesn't stop here. It's lived out, out there. So as we sing this, we're going to sing together that there's one name that holds weight above them all. His fame outlasts the earth He formed. He is eternal. And that we would fix our eyes more fully on Jesus as we go from this place.
So let's stand together. I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing these two songs in closing together. Father, it's your name that is above all things. God, you're the only one who can give us hope and security and life. May we be challenged by this and recognize what are those things that take the place of you in our lives. And may we pursue with passion what you have called us to as your people with a confidence that's rooted in who you are, knowing that nothing can change that. All of this for your glory and praise above all else. In Jesus' name, amen.